0: Hello, and welcome to the Riveting Reads podcast, where each season brings you a serialized version of thrilling news stories, along with exclusive bonus content from the author. This is Season 1, Insomnia, Book 1 of the Nightwalker series, by J.R. Johansson, narrated by Roy Samuelson. New episodes are posting weekly on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Stick around after today's chapter for some author insights into the writing process behind this chapter with Insomnia's author, J.R. Johansson.
1: Hi, I'm J.R. Johansson, and I'm here to give you a quick recap of Episode 3, Chapter 3 of Insomnia. In this episode, Parker spends some time with his besties, Finn and Addie, and we get to see the developing relationship between Parker and Addie, and the potential for that to cause some problems in the future between Finn and Parker. We also got to see how incredibly intense Parker's exhaustion actually is. It's getting worse and worse every day, and things are coming to a head for him. One way or another, something has to change. When we left off, Parker's exhaustion had very nearly gotten him into an accident on his way home from Finn and Addie's house. And that's your recap of Episode 3, Chapter 3 of Insomnia. Stick around now for Chapter 4. I hope you enjoy.
2: Insomnia, The Nightwalkers. Written by J.R. Johansson. Narrated by Roy Samuelson. Four. I had slammed my foot onto the brake so hard my knee ached like it might have bent the wrong way. My heart was pounding, and I couldn't believe how out of it I had been. I could have seriously hurt myself, or worse, someone else. I rested my head on the steering wheel for a moment. My breath fogged up the speedometer. Leaning back, I glanced through the drizzling rain at the purple pickup and blinked. The driver's seat was empty. I frowned, confused. Maybe the truck had broken down and was abandoned here or something. I considered leaving. There wasn't actually an accident anyway. I hadn't hit the truck. A black motorcycle swerved around us. Correction, there wasn't an accident yet, but if I sat here in the middle of the street for much longer, there would be. I leaned forward to get a better look, but I still couldn't see anyone in the truck. When I reached over to put my car in gear, there was a sharp knock on my window. I glanced up, and there was a girl standing next to my car. Her eyes met mine. They were such a deep blue, they reminded me of the evening sky during a storm. Her hands pushed against her hips so hard she seemed to be using them to keep herself from exploding. She obviously wasn't hurt, but she looked extremely angry, and kind of like my mom in that pose. No need to check the clock this time, it was too late, and I was too exhausted. I knew that unless I wanted to watch Mom's dreams for the zillionth time, I'd be watching this angry girl's dreams tonight, whether I liked it or not. I sighed, turned off the car, and climbed out. The ends of her long, dark hair curled out from beneath the hood of her jacket, and her eyes felt as dangerous as a loaded gun's barrel. Dragging an umbrella out of the back seat, I held it over our heads. Hey, um, that your truck? I ran my hand through my hair, shaking away some of the water, and tried to charm her with a grin. She looked stunned for a minute, and I thought I might get away with it. But then she clenched her teeth and growled. Wow, you're some kind of genius, huh? I half expected a stuntman from the way you were driving, but apparently you're a rocket scientist. Why is a prodigy like you driving a piece of crap like this? There was a hint of southern drawl in her voice that threw me off. And it took me a moment to realize she had insulted me and my car in under 10 seconds. That had to be some kind of record. She kicked my tire with the pointy toe of one black boot. Come on, leave the car out of it. You didn't even get a scratch, I said. She crossed her arms over her chest. No, but in your hands, I'd consider even this oversized roller skate a lethal weapon. I had a knack for maneuvering people, at least that's what I called it. Kind of like manipulation, but not. It wasn't a separate ability, more like a side effect from spending my nights watching people's expressions while feeling their emotions. It made it pretty easy to read people, to understand them. And when I understood them, it made it easier to convince them they agreed with me. Most of the time I used it on my mom. If I could tell her mood from her movements, her minute facial expressions, it was much easier to choose a good time to ask for things. One night, when she was feeling particularly guilty for working so much after my dad left, I ended up with a car. Not a great car, but a car. Considering I was only 15 at the time, I didn't complain. I tried not to maneuver people too often, but this seemed like an appropriate time. The girl's anger was getting us nowhere. This was a residential road that didn't see much traffic, but one motorcycle had already passed, and I didn't want to be sitting in the middle of the intersection, in the rain, when the next car showed up. I opened my free hand, palm up, rolled my shoulders back, and focused on keeping my face calm, open, and honest. Listen, I'm sorry, um, what's your name? After glaring at me in uncomfortable silence for a full ten seconds, she finally answered. Megan. Okay, Megan, I'm Parker, and I'm really sorry I ran that stop sign. I had a long day. I'm really tired, and it was totally my fault. I didn't mean to scare you. I kept my voice soft and level to show sincerity, then extended my hand to her, hoping the little hothead would accept my apology. She seemed slightly mollified, took a deep breath, and glanced back at her pickup again before sticking her small hand into mine. When she finally relaxed, all the little angry lines on her forehead went away. I noticed a bruise and a few scratches near her temple. Oh, uh, Hey, are you okay? A wave of guilt swept me, and I reached a hand toward her face, but she flinched away from my fingertips. Her body language shifted so fast, it nearly made me dizzy. No, that's a few days old. I'm fine. Anyway, I've gotta go. Megan stumbled back around my car, but stopped when she got to her door. Pay a little more attention, okay? I I will. Are you sure you're all right? Something in her expression made me uneasy. With a dismissive wave, she climbed into the truck and was gone before I could even get my car started. I groaned and hit my head against my headrest a few times. I had managed to do it again. No matter how hard I tried to avoid making eye contact with strangers right before going to sleep, it was impossible sometimes. At least, Megan seemed fairly normal, and about my age, instead of some creepy old man. I drove down the last three blocks of cookie-cutter houses in a state of paranoid awareness. By the time I pulled into the driveway of our blue brick split level, every blink grated on my dry eyes. For a few minutes, I sat alone in the cool stillness of our garage. Our house felt like a tomb, or maybe it was just like me. A dark life with a silent death waiting in the wings. Maybe it would be better to embrace it now. Give up and face what was coming on my own terms, by my own choice. I shook my head and climbed out of the car, no matter how good it sounded. How much easier it seemed than this never-ending fight my life had become. It still wasn't what I wanted. There was so much more out there that I hadn't done yet. I wasn't ready to give up. I was just running out of options. The kitchen was dark and silent. I could see a white note sitting on the dark green countertop like a small boat in a vast sea, but I didn't even glance at it. I already knew what it would say. I could find the leftovers without a note telling me how. I wasn't that hungry anyway. Pain stabbed behind my eyes as if I had bruised the spot where they connected to my brain. I knew dad used to get migraines. He always blamed it on the fumes from the lab at the university, the hazardous life of a chemistry professor. I wondered if his headaches felt like this. Sometimes I wondered if he might have been a watcher too. But since he ditched us a month before I became a watcher myself, I'd never know. He probably wasn't. But I wished I had gotten a chance to talk to him about it. I could always talk to him, about anything. You're supposed to be able to talk to dads about crazy stuff, but they're not supposed to walk out the door and never come back. If he had been like me, it would at least explain a few things. But It also meant he was probably dead. And as mad as I was at him for leaving, I still didn't like thinking about that possibility. Crash. That was my plan. If I hurried, I might be able to catch a couple hours of nothingness before Megan went to bed and I joined her dream. Dr. Brown didn't exactly give me a time frame for this whole sleep deprivation dying thing, but if I was brutally honest, I knew I didn't have much time left. My body couldn't take this much longer. The quiet dimness of my room eased the throbbing in my head. The curtains were super heavy and dark gray, so even during the daytime, if you turned off the lights and closed the curtains, it was very dark. At night, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Total blackness. I collapsed on the bed. Who knew how much longer I could survive this way? It could be a year, but I doubted it, more likely less. Would I have time to explain or at least say goodbye to the people I cared about? How would my mom handle it, or Finn and Addie? I rolled over on my side and punched my fist into my pillow, vowing to myself to find a way to tell them goodbye. I wouldn't leave them wondering, the way Dad had left me. The familiar rippling sensation came as I moved from my own dreamless white void into Megan's dream. A warm awareness slipped over me, and I hoped the rest of her dream stayed this calm. Too bad I couldn't thank her for staying up late and giving me a couple hours of this peaceful solitude. I'd probably never see her again, and even if I did, that would be a really creepy thing to thank someone for. I listened for a long moment to the thrumming inside my head. I used to wonder if it was my actual heartbeat that I heard, or just some part of the dream that even the dreamer wasn't aware of. I decided it must be mine. The dreamer didn't even know I was here. Why would they bother giving me a heartbeat? Besides, I liked it better this way. It was the only thing I had control of in the dreams. If I breathed quickly or got excited, it would speed up. If I relaxed, the gentle cadence would slow. My heartbeat was my tether to reality. I braced myself for the sound of her dream to come, waiting for it. But when it hit, I barely noticed. Birds were chirping in the distance, and there was water sloshing around somewhere. Smell hit next, sweet and earthy, a wheat field on a warm day. When sight arrived, It didn't disappoint, there were vivid colors everywhere. I sat in a wide pasture at the base of a tall purple mountain. The ground was covered with soft red grass. Nearby, a stream wound down to a wide silver lake. The sun hung high in the sky, but a soft breeze cooled my face and moved my hair. Her emotions jolted me when they hit, a deep sadness. But it was less disturbing than it should have been as though it was thinned by water, diluted, to make it less painful. Still, I ached with an unexpected emptiness. It echoed my own day-to-day feelings in a strange way. Megan and I had much more in common than I would ever have guessed. Something felt very different in her dream, though. Not bad, just different, unlike any other I had watched. It nagged at the back of my mind, but I couldn't place it. I turned and froze when I saw her. She stood a few feet behind me, wearing a white sundress and standing before an easel. Her left wrist twisted in circles, winding one dark curl tight around her pinky. She studied the canvas before her. She lifted her other hand, and I expected her to paint, but instead, she chewed on the end of the paintbrush. I had to admit, her reaction at the intersection might have seemed a little over the top, but it wasn't unwarranted, and she was also pretty cute. I wanted to reach out and touch her, but I had learned a long time ago that physical contact while watching wasn't possible. Whether it was the dreamer or some other person in the dream, we just passed over each other. I couldn't interact. When I was 12, the first year I started watching dreams, I must have tried to touch my mom a thousand times, begging her to help me understand what was happening. I tried to hold her hand, hug her, hit her, anything, to make her see me, make her hear me. As much as I wanted it at the time, it was probably better that it never worked. Just being here felt like a violation of the dreamers' privacy. Touching them was a line I didn't think I should cross. I hopped to my feet and walked over to see her painting. The canvas was blank. Not even the slightest dot marred the white sheet before her. It was peaceful in her dream, but she was so focused, she looked almost frustrated. She kept shifting her weight back and forth between her bare feet. Strange. If there was any dream world built for painting, this was it. It was so gorgeous. Her deep sadness felt almost foreign in this place. Everything around us was so quiet, calm, and beautiful. This wasn't a memory, but it probably wasn't a fantasy either. I had never seen anything like it. I closed my eyes and felt the sun on my face, a feeling of serenity soaked through my skin. What was so different? In that instant, it hit me. This dream had only one layer. I didn't think it possible, a single-layer dream. But it was so calm and real. It was like life, but enhanced somehow. Everything felt more vibrant. But it wasn't just what was happening in her head that was different. It was what was happening in mine. I could feel it in some inexplicable way, a freedom in my thoughts, a flexibility in the way my mind drifted. Hope seeped through the cracks of my carefully constructed wall. At that moment, Megan could have been Picasso, and I still wouldn't have watched her any longer. If there was any dream I could sleep in, the true deep sleep I needed, this would be it. I walked to a shady spot nearby. Rubbing my hands together to still their shaking, I took a deep breath. I could handle the disappointment if this attempt failed like all the others. It wouldn't hurt me anymore. Forcing my muscles to move, I reclined on the soft red grass, closed my eyes, and slept.
0: Thanks for listening to the Riveting Reads Podcast, Season 1, Insomnia. New podcast episodes will be available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you're not the patient type and want the full book now, you can find the audiobook on Audible Podcasts or the paperback version on Amazon. Stick around for some author insights from J.R. Johansson about the chapter featured in this episode.
1: Hi, I'm J.R. Johanson, and welcome to the Authorly Insights section on Chapter 4. Writing this chapter was really interesting, because we get to meet this new character, Megan, whom I love. She's fire and strength, but also surprisingly vulnerable at times. It's immediately clear that she has secrets, even before Parker spends a night in her dreams. I also got to explore another side effect of Parker being a Watcher what else could you learn about humanity if you could feel their emotions and see the actual things going on inside their heads at the same time? For Parker, it has made him an expert at being able to read people and know how to use his knowledge of humankind to get what he wants when necessary. Parker still tries to live by his own code, which includes not abusing his powers, but when he's desperate, he's not above doing what he has decided needs to be done. At the end of the chapter, we also get the first hint that there may be some dream situations that for unknown reasons are different and that they may just offer a bit of hope for Parker and for his future. On a more personal note, for the chaos and confusion in the almost accident scene at the beginning of this chapter, I actually drew from an experience that was one of the funniest and actually scariest of my life. When I was 16, exactly one week after I turned 16, I was in a pretty massive car accident. And um, during the car accident, I was in shock from a hit on the head and uh the resulting chaos was kind of hilarious in retrospect at the time it was terrifying but i kind of drew on that experience just for the general ambiance of the beginning of the chapter someday if you ever meet me in person ask me and maybe i'll tell you about that story That's it for the authorly insights on chapter four. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy what we're doing here and I will see you next episode. Bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Riveting Reads. Please check out details for our reader appreciation program in the podcast notes or on rivetingreadspodcast.com. Also, a reminder that we're still a new podcast and we would love to hear from you please subscribe as well as rating and reviewing in your podcast app. Thanks, and we'll see you in a few days for the next episode.